Hey guys, I'm Caleb Giddings. And I'm Keith Finch. And you're listening to Gunday Brunch, sponsored by Arrow Precision, DeSantis Gunhide, and of course, Rocky Brass, who's going to be particularly important this episode. One of these days, you're going to get all three of those right without hesitation, but yeah, that's just we've gotten so far. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, <laughs> it's just, yes, we have sponsors, blank. It's like the, it's like the, beep. the people. It's the beep. It's the beep, the beep, the beep does not set me free. The beep kills my mind, but I have a plan. Beep, where am I? (laughs) I blacked out what happened. Um, So back on topic. Yeah. So today we have a current events episode and it's important because we've had two very interesting things happen this last week. Uh, Notably the ATF, well, the Department of Justice via the ATF issued their proposed rule changing on what would change the definition of uh, a frame or a receiver uh, for, uh, obviously this is applicable to 80% uh, receivers commonly referred to in the media as ghost guns. There's some other interesting provisions in there uh, that we're going to talk about. Some people have had a bit of a chicken little reaction to this, and I'm not saying that it's not bad, but it's also probably not as bad as some people think it is or certain media outlets have represented it to be. And then also we have some news uh, of the the ongoing saga of the NRA versus the state of New York. But let's get started with the 80% uh, lower. And I'm going to really struggle to not say 80% lower is because it's a receiver, not a lower. It could be an upper or a lower. But let's get started with the ATF's proposed rule. So give me the I'm stupid, I don't understand what's happened, what's led us to this, and what this rule is about version. Okay, so with the 80% rule, we're running into another situation where there are technical definitions for things, there are things that companies call things, and then there's a legal definition of a thing. So Mm. the legal definition of a frame or receiver was actually more limiting and more descriptive in the Gun Control Act of 68 than what modern firearms are using as a frame or receiver. And so the ATF were honestly operating in this gray area where if the company who made it, so say Aero Precision, Aero Precision makes lowers, they they make a ton of lowers, um, and they serialize them. They sell those as firearms. Those are transferable via FFLs, so on and so forth. However, an AR-15 lower receiver doesn't actually meet the Gun Control Act definition of what a receiver is, and it wouldn't meet the definition of what a frame is. It doesn't have all the parts. It only has some of the parts. However, the ATF were like, well, the technical part is the lower receiver, so we will allow that to pass as the receiver. And they've been operating that gray area for a minute now. So that's one of the proposed rule changes is addressing the updated definition of what receivers are based on modern firearms designs. And that doesn't just apply to AR-15s. If you look at the actual rule, the actual law as it's written, the frame or receiver has to house all of the fire control parts. So if you look at a revolver frame, that made sense because it Mm -hmm. housed all of the fire control parts. You know, if you look, but if you look at a Glock, it doesn't house all of the fire control parts in the frame. And at a certain point, the ATF basically had to say, okay, part of this has to be the gun. Like it has to be the the gun. 
And generally, they went with the lower receiver on modern semi-automatic pistols. Although, you know, you've got stuff like the 320 and, um, you know, other things where different parts are serialized. And let's get the, I, I want to get the, the chicken littling out of the way first, because I've seen, and then we can talk about the actual problems with this mm-hmm. and the 80% problems and all of that other stuff. Uh, I've seen reports where people are like, this is going to mean that you won't be able to sell uppers and slides and all of these things before. And that's not true because if you read the rule, if you read the proposed rule that the ATF put out, it's it. Now it's buried. You actually have to read all, you know, however. It's 115 pages long, guys. This is a long rule. There are problems with it, but the change in definition to frames and receivers actually makes sense if you read it. Like this was a problem, but there is the chicken littling aspect. Yeah. And so and what's and what people are saying is you're not going to be able to sell, sell AR uppers anymore or slides or blah, blah, blah. And that's not true. The change in the rule will apply to guns manufactured moving forward. They specifically say in the rule change that if ATF has accepted that part XYZ is the firearm, whether it's the chassis of a 320 or the frame of a Glock or the lower receiver of an AR-15, then that is going to stay the firearm. That's not going to change. And it makes sense that they wouldn't change that because that would create a regulatory nightmare because what would happen is all of a sudden there would be a gajillion new fire, a gajillion. Think about all of the slides and upper receivers and things that are floating out around there. All of a sudden those would become firearms. So you can't, really go that there's there's an element of no backsies that the atf has to deal with on this yeah they're not they're not going to retroactively roll over this and say okay well an upper receiver in ar-15 fits fits the new definition no ar-15s are established the place where the serialized information and the firearm information for an ar-15 lower goes on the lower that's what's been established so if it's firearm already in circulation with serial numbers on it that's not going to change. So it's not as big a deal as people are making it out to be. But if someone were to make the AR-26 tomorrow, you know, they, they, they went out and made the AR-26 brand new design coming off the market 2021 after the rule change, they're going to pick the most fitting part. And if they want to, it says in the rule, they can ask the ATF for guidance, but they're going to pick the most fitting part of that firearm to be the receiver to be the firearm yeah and so this rule came about now while it does actually help clarify the legal definition of firearm which as we've noted was out of touch with what firearms are these days let's talk about why this rule's really here and it's ghost guns baby ghost guns poly 80s rocky brass the coolest name for like, I, I have to give the the anti-gun people credit because normally when they name something, it's really boring and dumb, but ghost guns sounds cool. And ghost guns also sounds scary. When you like say ghost guns on the news, that's like, ooh. Ghost so that's, Can't like, find that's a really good one. I'm very, well I'm very- I just really wish guns. they had gotten someone a little smarter, like even just a little smarter to first roll that out. Cause that dude was like 30 caliber clip in half a second. <laughs> and I'm like, those are great. all certainly words, sir. Those are all certainly words. Congratulations on connecting those yeah. words, but you didn't 
actually make any sense. So, no. all right, let's talk about the 80% receiver uh, thing and why this is important and why, you know, taking politics out of this for a minute, uh, help people understand what the hell an 80% receiver is. Because if you're new to this, if you typed gun into Spotify and we popped up and you're like, what's an 80% receiver? Let's, let's help. Great. So the 80% receiver, the 80% rule came about because several years ago, it was questioned, when does the, the part that is the receiver that's supposed to be serialized go from a block of raw material, essentially, to a regulated firearm part that, if it's commercial, needs to be serialized? And there have been people who've gotten in trouble for this, for not serializing properly, not serializing on time. There have been several big cases about that, that people left law, um, yeah, that people left raw receivers laying around for too long, didn't serialize them, didn't put them in books, didn't manufacture them properly, and they got in trouble for it because you had finished receivers, finished firearms, and you are a manufacturer, you're building these for commercial sale, and they didn't they didn't finish the uh, the procedure properly. So eighty mm percent -hmm. was that magic number that the ATF originally came up with. And so engineers, being engineers, they were like, "All right, well, if we only finish products to a eighty percent completion, then we don't have to do the excise tax on these. We don't have to sell them as a firearm. We don't have to serialize them." and be an 07 FFL in order to manufacture them. We can finish it 80% of the way, someone else can finish the rest of the way, and then it becomes what is now known as a privately made firearm, a PMF. That's a new term that's in the rule. Which, uh, and we should add that there's nothing in this rule that makes it illegal for you to, it's always been legal for you to manufacture non-NFA firearms for your own personal use, so long as you don't try to sell them to somebody else or, you know, do anything like that. Like, this has been legal uh, since- And it stays legal. They point that out in the rule. Yep. Like, there, there's a page where it's highlighted. Nothing in this proposed rule is subject to change the fact that you can privately make a firearm. It's not an NFA item, guys. No yeah, machine not, guns. Not, not an NFA item. NFA items are still NFA items. But a regular Title I firearm, you can still make a rifle or a handgun yourself or a shotgun. And you don't, and you don't have to... And I, if I recall correctly from the rule, if you're making a privately made firearm for yourself, there's still no requirement for you to serialize it, correct? Correct. There is no requirement for you to serialize. A lot of the rule deals with if and when you actually choose to sell this item. And the other thing too that the rule brings in is the, uh, the idea that some of these kits that have been sold for 80% uh, receivers are a firearm in the same way. It's kind of, to, to explain the logic behind it, they're basically saying that if you sell an 80% receiver kit that has all of the jigs and everything that you need to mill it out into a firearm, and it also includes a trigger pack and all of the other things that you would need, that you are effectively selling a firearm. And people are that's, like- That's exactly it. That's the gray area. And there's there are pages in this rule. It's mm -hmm. Again, it's 115 it's pages. It's huge. It's huge, but there are pages and pages and pages where they try and explain the fact 
that these kits count as firearms because they are, they are taking the readily made portion of the rule that already exists. They're taking the phrase readily made into and capable of firing a projectile. Now, under old interpretations, that usually meant like, okay, you could put the upper receiver of an AR onto a lower receiver or the slide of a semi-automatic back onto a semi-automatic and readily make it fireable again. So it took, it took that ambiguity about a disassembled firearm not being a firearm anymore because it wasn't in a fireable configuration and took that off the table. Now they're expanding that. And this is, this is the, one of the largest problems with the rule. They're expanding that, okay, you can put it together if it was disassembled to, well, you can finish it and finish it easily. And these kits mm -hmm. were designed to be finished easily. Um, and they were banking on the 80% number to say, all right, the frame isn't finished. Therefore, the frame being the legal part that is the firearm, we are not selling a firearm. Now they're using the readily, readily made to to shift that definition and cover these 80% kits. Yeah, and that's kind of the, uh, if we're picking a bad part of this ruling, that would be the one that affects, you know, retailers, it affects commerce, it affects people who also might not understand what it means to then be in possession of one of those kits or something like that. And what, what is sort of interesting about this is, is if you have one of the kits uh, and you have it still in its kit form, that if this ruling were to go through would be illegal. But if, and I'm not saying do this, if you had one of those kits and assembled it into a firearm, before in the time before this ruling goes through which it may not do that firearm would not be illegal which is mm -hmm. weird but you know it, it's it's they're trying they're trying to shut the door on pandora's box here like they're mm -hmm. trying to slam that shut this kits i mean there are millions of these things in circulation they're trying to shut the door on it because they have to it is their job to do this and because Congress won't move on it one way or the other because it's radioactive as all hell, mm. uh, it falls to them to make their best efforts to do something that's really like far outside the rules. Because again, we go back to the definition of frame or receiver. All the working parts of the action are technically supposed to be in the frame and the receiver. And going back to a, another couple of court cases, there was someone in California who was making 80%. Uh, I, I forget his name offhand, but he was making 80%. And then someone could come into his shop and finish the 80% making a privately made firearm because they finished it. He didn't finish it. So it didn't need to be serialized. It didn't need anything like that. And then when he got snagged up and got taken to court and be like, bro, you are legitimately building guns. And people are like, you, you were trying to play the loophole game. You were legitimately building guns. You can't do that without an 07 FFL. You've got to be licensed to do this, yada, yada, yada. He played the, well, it's technically not a receiver by the definition of the Gun Control Act card, and he won. Yeah, that case is still pending, by the way. He, mm -hmm. he won at one level. It's been appealed. It's go yeah, it's, it's going still, but yeah, he, ongoing. Won, he won the first round. And this is one of the fallout reactions of that rule. They actually mention, I feel like that got mentioned somewhere in the rule as well. Yeah. It got, it got the, mentioned very the recent court they, I don't know if they cite the case, but they definitely mentioned the fact that there have been court cases based on the definition of receiver where the spirit of the law was circumvented 
which engineers love to do. So yeah, <laughs> engineers love to circumvent the spirit of the law because it's not the actual law. They're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. The actual words of the law say this, so mm-hmm. I'm not actually breaking the law. I'm technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. It is the best kind of correct. I love that phrase. <laughs> now, uh, the so on to, keep, keeping on this, I am a little worried that we're not going to get canceled or that we are going to get gun industry canceled because we're not mad at the ATF about this. And it's no, not we're, we're mad at the ATF about this. We're mad. We're not mad enough at the ATF about this. That's this, pro- like, we're not this. <laughs> we're because they're. That when you dig into it, guys, when you really dig into it, there are parts of this that make sense that needed to happen. It did. Like someone, someone had to be like, look, the, the ugly chick is hanging out in the corner here. Someone needs to address this. Someone needs to fall on that grenade, take her home and take her out of the corner. And that this was something that was pending. It was coming. It was going to happen. And it was simply because technology advanced. Like in 68, when the revolver was the standard handgun, Frame made sense. Yeah. Receiver made sense. Now, most firearms don't fit that definition. And they've just been kind of ghosting in that gray area zone. And so when it comes to trying to nail an actual criminal against the wall with it, they they can use the escape of the people who like no harm, no foul, but technically broke the law too. They can both use that same escape hatch and get out of it the same way and they they had to do something about it this is what happened and i think it is important to note that you know the atf also had to do and this is one of those interesting situations where you know in caleb's perfect libertopia paradise where you're not the boss of me um we wouldn't have an atf and we wouldn't have these issues to deal with but we don't live in that world and people who agitate for that world aren't playing in aren't agitating for any reality that's ever going to happen and the atf had to do a thing with the current makeup of the federal government the executive branch and the legislative branch there was so much external pressure and this external narrative about ghost guns and 35,000 ghost guns recovered at crimes, which is a true number, but is also a misleading number. And we're going to get to that here in a second. The ATF had to do something about this, especially when in LA, you had a major investigation into what I have taken uh, to referring as the, uh, the Kyber Pass of Compton, where people were getting 80% receiver kits. They were milling them out intentionally for resale to criminal elements. And that all looks really bad. And of course, the problem with the coverage is, is that shit is illegal anyway. Like mm-hmm. changing the definition this is, this of an is, 80 This is just making it more illegal or in more right. illegal ways, which we know is like, at, at the end of the day, like the, the grand scale of things that we would like is like, okay, well, it's not up to me to keep the felon from having the gun. That's not my job. But if the felon has the gun because he's a felon and he has a gun, well, you should probably get him for felon in possession and send him back to prison. And that's all on them. That's not on me. That's on them. No no ATF involved. However, we live in ATF land. Yeah. And it's, and if you actually, if, if people are interested and if you're listening to this because you know i don't know why you're listening to this what for whatever reason brought you here it's already illegal to give a gun of any type to a convicted felon 
It is already illegal to give a gun to someone that you know intends to use it to commit a crime of any sort. It is already illegal to manufacture guns for a secondary market without a firearms license. Like everything that, you know, these 80% manufacturers were doing for these criminal elements and stuff like that was already a crime. And the problem that we have is a lot of times uh, uh, U.S. attorneys don't want to just try to hem people up for what are like felon in possession is like a nickel. It's almost Mm -hmm. never the it is. I can't recall a time where I've seen it as the primary charging offense. Usually what happens is they get a guy for a drug crime or something sexy, and then they tack felon in possession on the end just to be like, and also fuck you. Yeah, it's just a juicy bit. It's the same thing like lying on a 4473. Lying on a 4473 is a deuce, I believe. You get two for that. Uh, But that's such a tack on charge. It's like, oh, well, you got the gun. You did something wrong with it. Oh, and you lied on the form to get it. They quietly, you know, pass over the fact that you clearly got passed because you passed the background check 4473, but you were prohibited and the records didn't catch it. Sorry about that, guys. They, they quietly, they're quietly like, you don't presume. Nope, nope. Two years for lying on that form. There you go. Yeah. We but it, talk it's, about- it's one of those situations that they, it, they use these charges as tack on charges. They use these charges to pad the case to make sure that they get them for something, uh, which, which is the goal. It like, maybe not they they've done that all the time i mean one of the most famous is still al capone like mm-hmm. they did tax put al capone. yeah yeah they didn't put al capone away for all the al capone they put him yeah. away for tax evasion <laughs> which you know i mean that's great that's america right there but right. like and so the, the thing that people don't understand about the 80 percent lowers is while like yeah 80 percent lowers have been used in crime Okay, so have literally every other gun. They represent a tiny fraction of the guns that are used in crime. Then they have no, and they have done nothing. Like they bear the number of eighty percent manufactured guns used in crime doesn't even represent a dent in the primary source of crime guns, which is theft. Uh, mm-hmm. This is my point where I remind you that your car is not a holster, people. So lock your cars um, and don't leave your guns in them. Uh, but yeah. Second to that. Yeah. The 80% receiver has not been becoming major source of crime guns compared to all of the other sources of crime guns. Again, the primary source being theft. And you can Number tell one. that in the language. You can tell that in the language mm-hmm. they use because they don't say major source. They don't say, they say increasing source. They say expanding source, which are true like you said there were 35,000 so far found in crimes and that was over I believe and that was for like a four-year period period. yeah three or five year period so 35,000 then they throw that out there 35,000 of these found associated with crimes but then you go and you narrow it down to like assault or homicide and I think it was homicide or attempted homicide was only like 184 or something it was it was under 200 so and then expanding that into assault, which would be aggravated assault or assault with a deadly weapon, uh, they didn't get into that. So I'm assuming that that number wasn't impressive enough to include in the report, but 35,000 was. But 35,000 associated with criminal activity. So that's literally anything criminal, plus you had a ghost gun, plus you had an 80%. Which could be something, and as an example, that could be something as simple as rolling up to a domestic husband's beating the shit out of his wife 
cops hook him up. The wife says he's got guns in the house. Cops go, not anymore, he don't. And one mm-hmm. of those is an 80% lower for, or an 80%, uh, a gun that's been manufactured from an 80% receiver, for example. So I think kind of the, the important takeaways that we have, we have several important takeaways. One, uh, there is, I think this rule does have an actual, have some actual important regulatory changes in it, which makes sense given firearms technology. However, I don't think that any of the regulatory changes enacted in this rule are actually going to do anything but make the process of firearms enthusiasts enjoying their hobby more difficult. That, and that's just it. Like there's a good rule change married to a bad rule change. Mm-hmm. The good rule change, update of the definition of receiver. That update, updating definition of frame or receiver does make sense going forward. It makes FFL jobs, which I have an FFL, so I like when my job's easier. It For makes sure. their job a little bit uh, easier uh, and uh, it makes manufacturers' jobs moving forward a little easier because they have more clarity as they make new designs. But the bad side of the rule is the very clear method uh, methodology to try and stop these 80% manufacturers, which have been largely hobbyist. Again, there are millions of these things in circulation. Uh, and this has been a fairly new fad. This has only been mm-hmm. out for a few years, but there are millions of these in circulation. And of those millions, only 35,000 were found associated with any sort of crime, which again, they don't note is still a minority of criminal offenses, theft still being number one, as you pointed out. Uh, it, they're, they're not a majority. They're not, it's not this, it, it was an exploitable item but it's still not the easiest thing to do. It's still not the easiest way for a felon or a bad actor to get a gun. It's no, just not at all. Way. The easiest way for a felon or a bad actor to get a gun is to smash in the back window of a pickup truck that has an XD decal on it because there's going to be an unlocked gun under the seats. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note- I hate how true that is. <laughs> I know, it's, it's depressing, but it's also very true. Um, all all the that, XD owners out there, we still love you, but please lock your cars and yeah, lock and your, uh, in your lock car. Lock your guns up, lock your guns up. <laughs> I, the, the easiest way to keep your gun from being stolen out of your car is to carry your gun on your person. And I, mm-hmm. yes, damn, I understand. And I'm, I'm it's very, very brief sidebar. Yes, damn, I understand some people work at places where they're allowed to leave their guns in their car in their parking lot and they can't take their gun into work. And I get all of that. And then that's, I, that's, a, that's a valid use case. There are safes that you can buy that bolt to your car under your seat. There are ways to safely secure a gun in a car that are theft deterrent. And also don't put gun stickers on your car because they people legit Adver- know. It's, like, it's advertising, hey, yeah. I, I like guns. I probably carry a gun. If you're looking for that, you should probably break into my truck. Yeah, like definitely don't put an NRA sticker on your car. And speaking of the NRA, that's our <laughs> second news item for the day. I want I want to, before we shift to the NRA, I'm going to hit the last part of the rule, just really yeah, administratively. Sure. The last part of the rule, and it takes up a lot of pages too, is actually implementing a way to buy and sell the 80% guns, which is really, you're not supposed to do it right now. You can't do it. There right. are, there are, there's writing out there that says FFLs can take these in technically. And then there's a lot of uh, writing and common knowledge and, and essentially 
you should probably not take these in if you have a bound book and have an FFL because they don't have a serial number and it's not therefore a commercial product. The rule was essentially you build an 80% without a serial number. You don't serialize your, your gun. It's yours forever. It's your gun because it's not a commercial product. It's a personally made firearm, a PMF. That is changing now. As part of the rule change, they're, they're implementing a method to mark these things and bring them into the commercially viable space. And I get why they want to do that. It makes it easier on FFLs. It, it's also very convoluted because this serial number, like every FFL in the universe that has an 01. So if you're a dealer or a gunsmith, no one FFL, like you'll be able to do that now. It mm -hmm. like make your own firearms by putting a number on them yourself. So they're just going to be a whole bunch of extra convoluted numbers. I mean, a lot guns. of random firearm, uh, random serial numbers floating around. I, yeah, I think you're going to see at least one dick butt uh, serial number. Yeah, there's almost essentially, but you can, you you do have to tie it to your FFL. So if you're the yes. one who initially uh, brings it in, you tie it to your FFL number. And that's the last administrative change. There's a lot of legalese uh, surrounding that part in particular because they're trying to get it right. And that is another, it, it's like two semi-positive aspects to this rule in one very, very negative one. And the negative yeah. one is putting polymer 80s, those complete kits into the firearm category instead of the 80% category where they were. And they're doing it by very, very just subtly pushing. I'm making pushing mm -hmm. here audio for Spotify. Very, very subtly. Oh, Spotify's got video. Definition. Yeah. Yeah, video. video. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're subtly pushing the definition of readily made to fire. They're, mm. they're expanding that and they're expanding that in a very, very wordy and not precise way. And one of the things I hate most about when they, they bring these rules out, and if you want to comment on this rule and tell the ATF it's a bad idea, regulations.gov. It's not the ATF's yep. website. Go to the ATF's website, which does talk about this rule. They'll tell you to go to regulations.gov. So go to regulations.gov to tell the ATF that you don't want this rule. It's a bad idea. Even if you agree with, hey, you know, your new definition of frame and receiver, that makes sense. That's cool, guys. But stop fucking around with 80%. We like those. Those are fun. They if are that's fun. your opinion, go, go and drop that opinion on the ATF. The last time we did this with the braces, they were like, we won. all right, we, hear you. we won. We won that round. Is it going to come back? Probably. But we won that round and we won that round handily. So we can do that again right now. So regulations.gov. And back to the NRA topic. So back to the NRA, uh, because, you know, we just love to talk about the NRA. Um, the For people who don't know what's been going on with the NRA, I'll give you guys, and we'll keep this one real brief because this is mostly just like a quick update. Uh, for people that don't know what's been going on with the NRA, the, uh, the upper echelon of the NRA has been embroiled in, uh, I'm going to be really diplomatic with this, the upper echelons of the NRA has been embroiled in controversy, controversy for some time now over their spending habits, over money that has been allocated to 
uh, things like suits and vacations, monies that was paid to outside consulting groups like Ackerman McQueen, money that's been paid to lawyers, all sorts of all sorts of things. And the one of the side effects of this controversy coming to light has been that the New York State's Attorney General Letitia James in a, and I want to be very clear, it's good that the bad actions of the NRA are being exposed because hopefully we can cut the cancer out of the NRA and come out of this strong functioning NRA. However, the actions of the New York State Attorney General are completely politically motivated. She, legi- she actually said in a campaign speech when she was running for the office that she would use the power of her office to destroy the NRA. Completely yes. partisan, completely political. You said it with your words, so I'm going to choose to believe you when you say stuff like that. So anyway, she's suing the NRA and has, is attempting to, as part of their the state of New York suit against the NRA, one of the things that they're trying to do is disband the NRA. The NRA, in an attempt to end run this lawsuit, was like, oh no, we're bankrupt, we want to reincorporate Texas, which I covered in a video uh, for, Gat Daily, for the Gat Daily channel. And I was, I, I hoped it, honestly, I'll be very honest, I wanted it to work. And I wanted it to work because, as I've said, we need an NRA or a thing like the NRA. Um, we don't need the bloat and the corruption that is going on in the current version of the NRA, but we need an NRA or a thing like it. And none of the current gun rights organizations are at all ready to step into that gap. Like, they're just not. I would love, I would love to say that FPC or uh, NAGR or SAF is ready to be like, yes, we will take this mantle. But because they, those groups are doing good work, but they're doing mm-hmm. good work on the small scale still. They are not right. the, they're not the 800 pound gorilla. Everyone loves that have. cliche, but the NRA is the old horse at this. And, and at the height so, of the, like at the height of the NRA's power and effectiveness, they had state level lobbyists in all 50 states. They had national level lobbyists. Like they got, sh- they got some shit done. And it was stuff that you didn't, that we didn't necessarily know about. So anyway, to get back on topic, sorry guys. Uh, the judge in Texas who was overseeing the NRA's, ba- NRA's bankruptcy suit was like, nah fam, you can't do this. And that's, and that's pretty much it. He basically said, you cannot use bankruptcy as a shield to protect you from the New York State Attorney's lawsuit and investigation, which doesn't change. So it's bad news for if you wanted the NRA to skate completely. It's good news if you're... If, if you're hoping that the end result of this is that the NRA fires its upper levels of leadership and we get like a fresh new, you know, hip NRA that likes skateboarding and slang, it's good news. Ish. It's yeah, because again, I don't like the idea. Ish. Yeah, we're we're gonna say no. that it's it's like 50-50 because again, I think that the NRA does need a reformation. They need, you know, Martin Luther of the NRA to nail some shit to a door and kick the cronies out. But Catholic, I, I don't. Get that reference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you don't get that reference, what did they teach you in school? Um, but anyway, what? what they, what we need, I just don't know if the New York State Attorney General is the mechanism that I want 
to clean house at the NRA. I would no, much prefer it was like an internal house cleaning. That's, that's, we've been trying to, and, and anybody who's been to the uh, NRA annual meetings or has seen the campaigning or has campaigned for some of the new people that have been tried to put onto the NRA board, know that this has been an internal fight of the NRA for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's been there a while that there's some old crony spending that needs to be on the way out. And we've been trying to put new blood in place to kind of clean house internally. This, the New York attempt at dissolution might end up doing that for us. The problem is the motivation of the New York attorney general isn't to clean house at the NRA and make a shiny new effective organization. It's to eliminate it. That's the thing that, so yeah, and that's the big problem is the thing that people don't realize, and I get it, it's, I, you have every right to be mad at the NRA for wasting your membership dollars, for wasting donations, but the problem is, is if the, if the Attorney General of New York is the one who cleans house at NRA, we don't just lose the cronies and the bad actors and all of that, we also lose NRA bullseye, we lose competition shooting, we lose Eddie Eagle, we lose all of the marksmanship programs and education programs and hunter safety programs, things that are we lose NRA certified instructors. And I know it's cool to dunk on the NRA certified instructor program, but it's also the only instructor program that is except so in every state that has a uh, a training requirement to get a carry license. The NRA instructor certification is the only one that's accepted by all of those states. So that's as the much, only as one. As much as you want to say, uh, ha, 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 NRA certified instructors, they're foundational. Yeah, it, it is a foundational level. There's a lot of foundational level programs within the NRA that, if the New York Attorney General gets her way, they're no way. all gone. We we yeah. are cleaned out. The NRA is gutted, bleeding, and dead versus a new lease on life because it got that good therapy. We've been trying to do the good therapy. The uh, the uh, New York New York's going for the kill shot. Yeah. So I guess the update on this is it's not good news. It's not bad news. We're kind of just right back to where we started before the. before they filed for bankruptcy and attempted to reincorporate in Texas. I, I will be interested to see if they do continue with the reincorporation in Texas plan. I think that that makes sense regardless of the bankruptcy. I think getting out of New York is probably a good idea. But the move to Texas with the reincorporation was the easy fix. Now they are in for two much harder fixes. A, they have to fight the whole lawsuit in New York. They have to fight the dissolution lawsuit and win. And depending how much how much dirty money spending gets pulled out into the light is going to determine how hard that fight is to keep the yeah. NRA solvent. And now they, they have to pay their own way if they want to go to Texas. I still think they should go to Texas. That yeah, is a sure. good move. But the, the fight just got much, much harder and much more expensive for them. So that, yeah. that's the update. The, the judge in Texas didn't say, hey, you're not coming to Texas. They said, hey, you can't use bankruptcy to do it. And yeah. they, the NRA didn't lose, their, didn't lose the lawsuit battle. The NRA didn't, it hasn't been made to pay anything. It's not like we lose now or anything like that. It's just they got shoved back into the ring when they thought they had an out, like they could could tap out and leave. 
And the judge went, no fam. Yep. Close that cage door. You're fighting this guy, Spider-Man. Uh, mm-hmm. and if you guys get that <laughs> reference, that reference, bone saw is ripped. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, guys. So that's it for this week. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. We're still not on Apple Podcasts. I know, I know, we won't be by the time this goes up because Apple Podcasts are just being a real, real pain in the butt. But that's okay because we're on Spotify and we're on YouTube. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Caleb. I'm Keith, and we'll see you and next we- time. All right, guys, take it easy.